Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Cara. Hi, Vanessa. We have a very special guest today on this episode. I'm so excited about this. We have an amazing young woman, Elizabeth Runge, who has been our intern for the past three weeks. I think she has worked harder than I worked through all of my high school years combined just in the last three weeks for her senior project. So we are incredibly grateful to have had her wonderful mind working with us. And before we dive into today's topic, Elizabeth, would you be up for telling people who you are and what you care about? Yeah. So first, I'm very grateful for Vanessa and Cara for hosting me and my senior project. I'm a friend of Vanessa's kids, so it was very fun to be able to work with her. So I'm a high school senior and I'm headed off to college next year. And I'm really interested in public policy and history. And I'm probably going to major in public policy. So I'm looking forward to being able to work in government and work in politics. So this public health side of this project has very much sparked my interest in that as well. And little known fact, which I just learned last week, your mom originally wanted to be a sex ed teacher. Yes. She did some work in that realm before she moved on to social work and doing some more, you know, hospital international work. 
So it's in the, in the family. It's in the family. It's in the genes. So maybe we should describe a little bit about what we asked you to do. And then maybe you can share a lot about how much fun you had. I think you had fun. <laughs> I hope yes. you had fun. You had fun, right, Elizabeth? You definitely I did. Had fun. I did. I did have fun. <laughs> it was an 11 out of 10 for fun. This is my kind of fun. You had Cara fun. It was so fun. It's a really specific corner of fun. <laughs> um, so maybe we can just open up a dialogue about what you learned and what you sort of want to see changed as a result of what you learned, which is really what I'm most curious about. But I'll start by describing a little bit about what we asked you to do, and then maybe you can pick up the ball. Gargantuan task that we gave you. And you were like, (laughs) and you were like, no problem. I got it. And I was like, because if someone gave me this task, I would be like curled up into a ball in the middle of the floor. And you were like, yeah, no problem. I got it. So here's what we asked you to do. Way back in the beginning of the pandemic, I spent a little bit of time working with some educators, health educators, sex educators, mental health experts, and we were trying to pull together some ideas for teaching materials and curricula for kids. And one of the things that we decided we would do at the time was look at state standards for what each state in the country requires across health and sex education. And at the time, I had a neighbor named Isabella, who has been featured on this podcast because she then became the first intern at Umla and has become a very big piece of our growth as a company. Isabella worked with us for three years. She's just graduating from college now, and we love and adore her. And she said, yeah, I've got some time. School kind of shut down, and, and I don't know what I'm doing, so I'll do it. And she started to build a document. and. She called me a few weeks into it and said, it's kind of a big task. (laughs) And I'm wondering, you know, I'm happy to keep going, but it seems like you need help on some other things. And I was like, yes, I need help on these 25 other things. (laughs) And so we just left this started document in 2020. And I said, one day we'll get back to it. And then Umla really started to grow. Vanessa became the left leg partnering my right leg. And I like literally couldn't walk on a daily basis without Vanessa in my life. And Vanessa let me know that you were doing your senior project and you were interested in helping out. And Vanessa was like, you know, that state standards document you've always (laughs) talked about. You know, I wonder if Elizabeth would be a good person to work on it because she's really interested in health education and public policy. So we resurrect this very, very limited Google Doc. And we hand it to you three weeks ago. And we say, hey, do you want to finish? But it's like saying it was like 10% baked. And we're like, in the three weeks of your senior project, would you like to finish, i.e. do the whole thing, (laughs) this state standards doc? And with a big fat smile on your face, you said, 100%, absolutely, I would love to. And that was sort of our handoff to you. Is that a fair description of, of what we did? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so maybe you can start by describing the process. Like you get this thing, what'd you do? What was your approach? Yeah, so after we got the Google Doc, we decided 
that a Google Sheet would be a better suit for it. So have a sheet per state. Music to Cara's ears. So for those of you who don't know, <laughs> oh, someday we will make this TikTok. The Today, world is Vanessa. divided into Google Sheet people and Google Doc people. And on this episode, I am outnumbered two to one. Cara and Elizabeth yeah, are Google, Google Sheet people. people. And I am a Google Doc person. And so anything that has to do with Google Docs, I... Basically, I don't wash my hands of, but I basically take Vanessa, on less The world needs both types. The world yeah, I, feel like needs- I, I feel like I'm in the center. I, I kind of do both. <laughs> That's yes, why exactly. you've done such a good job, Elizabeth. So you were like, okay, we need a sheet per yeah. state. You were able to visualize that. That was right off the bat. And then I get into the first few states. So I go Alabama, Alaska, Arizona. I realized... All the states have different ways of organizing it. Some have these eight standards or strands, and then they're broken up into smaller things. Some have no actual state-sponsored curriculum, and they use something called the National Health Ed Standards that were established by the CDC, just vary all over the place. Some break it up into different age groups. Some do middle school, upper school, lower school. Some do a curriculum per grade. It's just all over the place. So... Carl and I basically decided that we needed to create our own standards that we could standardize and our own system. Google Sheets people do that. They create their own standards. Um, To make sure that we could look over all the sheets and have some sort of continuity. So we broke the curriculums up into two major pieces, health ed and sex ed. And then we broke health ed into pillars of health, growth and development, injury prevention and safety, alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs, mental, emotional, social health, and finally community health. And we broke sex education into just kind of a broad sex ed, which included things like sexual assault, consent, other issues there, and then contraception and then HIV, STD, AIDS education. So I want to press pause for one second and shine a huge light on what you just described. Because so often when educators either come into schools or teachers within schools are asked to teach this material, it is sold, it is marketed to the school community as sex ed. That's what this curriculum is often called, sex ed. And you listed a number, was it six, seven, eight categories that we call internally health ed that are separate from sex ed. And they are just as important to learn and master as your body is growing and changing, and they become foundational to good sex ed. So I think it's really, really important. If you didn't do anything else on your 50-tab Google Sheet that was so amazing, just having acknowledged and recognized that every state in the country does see a need for both health education and sex education separate from each other, that says a lot, right? Yeah, definitely. It's it's they're different concepts. And I think that sometimes you can't necessarily tell a second grade parent that their kid's going to be taught sex ed. They'll just get really freaked out. Whereas what they're actually going to be taught is hygiene and let's say no to strangers. And here's what you do if someone is in your personal space inappropriately. And that stuff is not related to sex, but it's very important for individual safety of like children. And I think that that was something that I found important to be able to say that like, this is a piece of safety. This isn't a piece of sex ed. And then 
I used the massive PDFs that the states put out. And sometimes they're very different and very disorganized. And I use those to basically bullet point it, put it into the standards. And then I also supplemented that using Seekist, which was its incredible website and being able to use those codes that they sparse out from the individual states to fill in the sex ed. And I think the main thing that I found when looking through all these curriculums is how vague some of them are. And this makes it very hard to establish what actually to teach. So I'm going to read a line from the New Mexico, one of the New Mexico standards. So for fifth and sixth graders, it reads, describe risk factors and their association with health consequences in the areas related to sexuality, nutrition, alcohol, tobacco, and other drug use, physical activity, personal safety, mental, social, emotional well-being, which is just incredibly vague and broad. (laughs) And that's so complicated. And then the standard for seventh and eighth grade reads the exact same thing. But instead of saying describe risk factors, blah, 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 it says understand risk factors. And a lot of these states, when they're talking about the development of what is required of a student from elementary school to middle school to high school, they use vague terms, like vague verbs, like describe or implement or understand. And that's so hard to even like assess. And I think the overall backdrop to all of this too is how much are individual board of educations and individual health teachers actually going to enforce these state curriculums? For example, Nebraska, kind of surprisingly, was one of my favorite and most comprehensive curriculums that I found. I think that it did a very good job of talking about diversity and really having a very broad and inclusive vision of health. But again, maybe in like a more conservative area of the state, a health teacher, an individual health teacher has control over what they teach and there doesn't seem too much accountability. So even though this framework, I really like it and I think it's very comprehensive and very inclusive, that's probably not going to be implemented in the same way. Yeah. I mean, I think what you experienced in researching it is the decentralization of health and sex education in this country. So A, it's governed by the state. You mentioned CECAS, which is a national nonprofit, and CECAS stands for Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States. But their standards are not enforced by the federal government. It's a nonprofit that recommends national health ed standards, and they are actually pushing for legislation. But your experience, I mean, the fact that you needed 50 Google Sheets to cover the 50 United States with no centralized set of standards tells us a lot about where sex education is in this country. And then when you drill down into what those documents or guidelines actually say, the wild diversity of how in-depth they are, how comprehensive they are, how much guidance do they give, are people trained or not trained to teach what they're being asked to teach, right? So it's pretty fascinating. Just like the physical journey of compiling all this stuff tells us a lot about where we are as a country in terms of health and sex ed. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. 
That's how umsocks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myumla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. 
You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Elizabeth, did you have a an experience at any point where you were thinking, if I lived in this state, X state, whatever it was, this is what I would have learned or I wouldn't have learned these things that I learned having grown up and been educated in New York, for instance. Yeah, there were a few things. And obviously I have to shout out, I had phenomenal health and sex ed teachers at Hackley. They were really great. And I actually did get a chance to interview them, which I'll talk about later. But at one point I was looking at the Mississippi standards and they have a note under a lot of their standards. There seems to be an abstinence only curriculum that an individual local board of education implements versus an abstinence plus curriculum, which just sounds like a video game or like a streaming service. And under every standard that could include or could violate an absence only education and had a little note. And I think that one thing that really upset me was they were talking about reporting sexual assault and rape. And there was a note about check if your board of education has abstinence only or abstinence plus to see if you can teach this. So you would get in trouble as an educator. There were standards, yeah. but you you were asked to make sure that you would not get in trouble for meeting the standards that have been outlined because of laws on the books requiring abstinence-only teaching, which just to hammer home is defined as teaching that no sex is the only safe sex. Is that technically what abstinence-only education boils down to? Basically, yeah. It basically teaches that you know abstinence is the safest way to prevent pregnancy, any form of STD, but then it doesn't expand on that. And yes, it's a fact that having no sex is the best way to prevent unattended pregnancy or unintended STIs or STDs, but it doesn't discuss any other options. But I think for me, we got a lot of resources on reporting sexual assault, reporting rape and community, things like that. And thinking about that, I would not have learned these resources and these things in a community if something like that happened to myself or one of my friends, because the school board decided that they couldn't even talk about sex or talk about sex happening because they were only teaching about abstinence is kind of upsetting because even if in a community you only teach about people not having sex, unfortunately, like sexual violence may occur. And I think that that's something that I was just upset about. I want to explore whether different kinds of sex is part of what comes up when you were looking at different standards, right? So Cara and I often talk about how people use the term sex, but there's actually a, a lot of different kinds of sex. And the default is, you know, vaginal intercourse. And that's what the abstinence movement is usually referring to is vaginal intercourse. But there's other kinds of sex that aren't included in that and don't lead to pregnancy, but might lead to STIs or STDs. Did you notice, were there certain states or certain guidelines that were more inclusive of different kinds of sex than others? So in a lot of the standards, it basically just says like 
discuss transmission of STIs through multiple types of sex. Like it will have that if there is some kind of comprehensive STI prevention. But then you see states that either include or don't include diversity of you know, sexual orientation and of families, which is hmm. something that really goes in hand in hand with that. And I think that that's one thing that was also very much a dividing line between states. But again, if a state says, teach about the transmission of STIs or especially like HIV and AIDS, some of this teach about the AIDS crisis, like that implies things that you're going to talk about different types of sex, but it just never really says it explicitly. And I think that that's one thing that I had trouble with because they wouldn't really say that explicitly, but it would kind of imply it, which means that it's up to the individual teacher, which can run into some issues. And you, you reached out to me a couple of times with blank state standards. I mean, where you couldn't find anything. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I found sometimes states would refer to the national health ed standards, which while that is a move towards some core essentialization, only seven states use them. And the standards are pretty vague as they want to be broadly applicable. And some states actually on a few of their websites had empty links. So I click on the link to go to their health ed standards. And for some reason, maybe the link was broken, the website got updated, but I could not find it. And then for other states too, they had one document for their elementary curriculum and one document for their upper school curriculum or their high school curriculum. And they were very different and they seemed to be formatted differently and they were made in different years. And I never knew if they got funding to update one, but not the other. And it's also like, there's so much just up for interpretation. And I also worry, I'm like, is there resources that I wasn't able to find? Are there things that the individual teachers are able to get or guidelines that I wasn't able to access? Elizabeth, I think you can disabuse yourself of the notion that you've somehow fallen short in this task. So if there's stuff you didn't find, there's 99 million things that you did find. (laughs) But it gets at, I mean, your experience researching this gets at the inconsistency of the availability of information, the consistency across that information, right? Certain age groups may have great information and other age groups may not. And if you are an educator in the position of teaching these things, what do you have available at your fingertips? How much time do you have to prepare and to research and to find things? And you are a very thorough person. So if you are having trouble finding things, you can imagine that you know, other folks doing this research were also having trouble. So I don't know if you want to, I don't want to single out your school specifically, but I wonder if you could extrapolate a little bit more on kind of what it's like for teachers to try to do their best with limited time or limited resources. Like what are some things that you thought about when you thought about someone who needs to go into a classroom and and teach this stuff? Yes, I did sit down with our health educators. So the person who taught me health my sophomore year, and then our chair of health education. There actually are a few programs that got developed since I've been a sophomore. So I was really happy to hear about those, especially with the freshmen, which I thought was really great. But the main sense that I got from them was that they don't really use a stringent curriculum because it's very difficult to fit the amount of content that most curriculums offer into the small amount of time they have. So it is basically a lot of the curriculums that are licensed are like very expensive, but also incredibly long, like very, very long. And they have trouble to parse those down. And then similarly, they just pull resources from a lot of different places. So for example, 
One Love is a phenomenal organization that works on domestic violence and relationship, interpersonal relations violence in honor of Yardley Love, who was a lacrosse player at Virginia who was killed by her boyfriend. And I've been very lucky to work with this organization through my school and then also through the lacrosse community. But my teacher brought in a One Love speaker to talk to our class about healthy relationships and also helping someone in, in an unhealthy relationship. Similarly, they brought in a bunch of other organizations, women's shelters and other crisis lines within our community, which I thought was really great to be able to access those resources. They also brought up a really interesting point too, other than cobbling together resources that they found, which is sometimes she feels like she needs to fit the needs of an individual class based on how she's going to sequence the curriculum. So in a lot of curriculums, relationships and you know, dating kind of comes at the end of the year. But she was saying, she was like, but what ends up happening is I feel like I need to do that at the beginning. Because with some classes, I know that there are relationships and there are situations that are happening that I feel like I need to do that immediately. So it was interesting to see how she kind of adapts that because it's so interesting when we think about health ed and you read all of it, you're like, they need to know this now. They, yeah. they need to know a lot of it now. Like it's so present, but you can't teach all of it. To and they're human beings yeah. in like living relationships and a great educator can adapt and be flexible based on the needs of the kids or human beings sitting in their classroom. And having that flexibility is really important. I mean, that says to me, I care about these kids and I need to give them the information as soon as it is relevant or even before it becomes relevant to them. And that's hard to do when you have a lot of ground to cover and a lot of topics that have to do with like the most important things, which is the health and safety of kids. Yeah. And on topics that are not being tethered to your job performance. So as a teacher, you're not being rated based upon a kid's mastery of their health knowledge, their hygiene knowledge, their awareness of the importance of sleep. You're often being rated based upon a kid's mastery of math or yeah. their writing ability or their reading ability. And so it pushes this further down the totem pole. If you are a teenager who is sitting at the crux of a ton of information, right? You now understand sort of from a bird's eye view how different states across the country view this. You understand how your school has approached this topic a little bit more granularly. And you have sat through these classes very recently, certainly more recently than we have as students. <laughs> what are one or two things that you would change or that you think are the most important pieces for the parents and the adults in these kids' lives to know about? I think there's one thing that was brought up to me by my health teacher. And then also as I've been researching this is she was saying that especially in middle school, but still in high school, you have to teach the middle of the pack of the kids developmentally. But at the exact same time, there are going to be kids that are a lot farther along developmentally and need more complicated education because maybe in sixth grade, they're dating someone, but they're not talking about that in the curriculum yet because they're trying to teach the middle or there's someone that's a little bit of a later bloomer. They're a little bit slower developmentally, which means that they're also feeling they're left behind and that everyone is better than them and more developed than them. And then that means that the parents need to fill in those gaps. Like that is the role of the parents to try to supplement that because the health teachers can't get everyone, unfortunately, with the amount of time and resources that they have. So 
when I was talking to her, she was telling me about how she's had kids that feel like they've been behind and she's had parents that email and be like, Hey, what should I do? How do I feel like I can get them back up to speed? They feel bad about this, et cetera. But then there's also parents who feel uncomfortable having the conversations or feel like they don't have the resources to do it. And I think that that's, what's so amazing about what you guys do is that you allow people to have those conversations. And I think that that is something that she was saying to me that she finds that is the hardest because she feels bad that she can't get everyone and she can't speak to everyone and she can't encapsulate everyone's experiences, but that's just impossible. Yeah. You're getting to the heart of sort of this huge question that people ask constantly and have asked for a long, long time, which is, does this even belong in the schools? Right. And what I'm hearing, tell me if I'm hearing this correctly, is yes and. Right. But also it belongs at home in conversation. I really think it's something that a lot of the standards talk a lot about community. A lot of that's a very much a theme across the standards about becoming an active member in your school community, in your local community, service projects, et cetera. And that's a piece that's so key to the school aspect of it. Because part of health education is community building and becoming a resourceful and empathetic person within groups of people. I think that that fits the school method so well. But at the exact same time, it needs to be a conversation that you have in the home and outside of the school environment where you have that relationship. I, I was very lucky. My parents talked to me a lot about this stuff and I felt very comfortable to talk to them about it. And I think that that allowed me to not only develop a deeper relationship with them going forward and as I got older, but also allowed me to see things in like a much bigger picture. Elizabeth, I want to close asking you this. If you were a health educator and you could only teach one single class. Oh, that's hard, Vanessa. Hard. That's so I'm hard. not giving her the easy. I, I Okay. Do you want me to reframe? No, no. Go. She's up for it. She's right. Elizabeth. Let me, let me, okay. Let me just think. Maybe I should say, if you could teach three classes, is that better? Does everyone feel better yeah, about that question? A little okay. bit. <laughs> what would you teach and why? By the way, this is not advocating for us. I'm just asking because Elizabeth has seen the entire universe of health and sex ed. And I want to yeah. know what spoke to you and what resonated to you as someone who's like literally just out the other side of this experience. If I teach three classes, I'd split them between two topics. <laughs> the, topic, <laughs> the first topic would be kind of like mental and emotional health. I think that a lot of the ways that we approach mental health in school communities sometimes is a little off. I think that I've been in a pretty high pressure school environment for almost like seven years and I'll continue to do that in college. And I think that we need to approach mental health with a different lens and see everyone for who they are and who their struggles are and not necessarily what they present. I think that that's something that and I've been very grateful to have so many compassionate and amazing teachers and also making sure that kids are developing those coping mechanisms. I think that that can sometimes get lost in the health education when you're just talking about, you know, mental illness and mental disorders, which is very important, but kind of having some coping skills, building time. And then on the other side, I think what isn't this, what my lesson right now is not necessarily feasible for it's not really, it would really work for a lot of states and a lot of boards of education, but I think it's very, very important to talk about different types of relationships and talk about the LGBTQ community when you're talking about relationships. Uh, One Love does an incredible job of that. 
But I think that making sure that you're including those diverse perspectives when you're talking about relationships is very, very important. Because even if you come from a state that, hey, you may not have an out kid at your school, or you may not know someone who is gay, you're going to continue to meet different people in college. And people need to understand how to respect each other. And I think that it's something where, like, I've met people that are from other states and they they don't really understand. And I think that's something that needs to be conversations that you have within states, even if it's not inside of your community. What I love about your perspective, Elizabeth, and it came through in this 50 tab Google sheet that is like, I swear if I could print it, I would just wallpaper my (laughs) wall with it. What I love about it is that you have really consistently gone back to the importance of empathy teaching, community building, and support for not just your peers, but the people who orbit your world. And I don't think that when parents are freaking out about the fifth grade health education class and what's (laughs) going to be taught, that they are thinking about those really important principles. And yet at the end of the day, after three weeks of living and breathing only the state standards, what you have just said is the most important things and the most resonant things are largely not about sex. They're about treating people with kindness and humanity. And what you said earlier about how it can happen at home and should happen at home, but it must happen at school, I think is, is right because school is an environment with lots of different types of people. And so you can have these conversations theoretically till the cows come home, but you go to school and you are really faced with a whole bunch of different people who look, think, and act a whole bunch of different ways. And it sort of forces an individual to implement these lessons. So what a perspective that you have brought. And I hope, I hope that parents who are suspicious or concerned about these curricula hear what you have to say as a teenager who is very much in it, that what your generation gets out of this course load is so much bigger than using soap in the shower or STIs. Yeah, but please really use is. soap in the shower and you protect yourself against STIs. <laughs> yes. Um, and I do want to, you mentioned One Love Foundation and we have an amazing episode with Abella Onemya from One Love about healthy and unhealthy relationships, which I think is all tied in, Elizabeth, to what you've taken away and the importance of respectful, caring, loving relationships amongst teens and hopefully as they grow into adults. So we will link to that episode as well in the show notes. And I just want to publicly thank you for all of your amazing hard work. You have accomplished something really incredible. And we know that your work will help many, many people going forward as we continue to try to spread the word about the importance of health and sex education in this country. So thank you. Thank you, guys. This was very fun and I learned a lot. So it's really great. <laughs> now go to college and have a good time. I'm excited. <laughs> but, but keep up the Google Sheets. Yes. Yeah, I will. I'll finish. We'll, <laughs> we'll I'll, if I take a stats class, I'll send you my pretty Google Sheet. You will. You'll make Cara yeah, so happy. My poly, my poly stats. <laughs> God Thank save me you. from Google Sheets. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, I'll send you like a well-written essay on a Google Doc. Please. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks, Elizabeth. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.